but um, we're not all here, so how shall we call everybody back? Maybe we should sing a song. Anybody got a song in mind? Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. The Buddhist version goes, swim, swim, swim across, swim across the stream, merrily, 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 life beyond the dream. (laughs) So I just have a couple logistical things to talk about. Um, So I've invited everybody to the group email and then... Uh, somebody, one or two people wrote and said, I'd like to use a different address. So if you want a, a different email address, I'm, this is over there for the group email, so just add yourself to it. Um, the other thing is sometimes it'll tell you you cannot post. I don't know why it does that, but you can post. Has everybody here received an email from the group at least yeah. once? Yes, a- anybody not? Received an email from the group, the group email, the Google group. Anybody not received one? Great. Super. And then the other um, matter is uh, that of small groups. So I'm going to turn it over to our community organizer, one of many. Mm, Taking me by surprise. Um, From what I understand, uh, somebody said that Jennifer was going to organize us into geographic groups. But I'm not that good. I'm only two years in California. When you name a city, I don't know where it is. Um, But I did start with, we have two Albany, we have one Berkeley and two Oakland. And I thought that sort of made up one geographic group. Um, So I don't know where else this... uh, Have anybody else um, looked at the maps or looked at all the addresses? Can I ask a question? From your experience, how large or small are these groups? Oh, three people. Four or five. <laughs> three to five. Sounds like. Okay. Three to five. SF has three, and I'm in Daly City. So maybe. Yeah, so okay, so, so SF has three. And I'm in Daly City. City. And then I just met somebody from Marin County. So here's what we're going to do. Everybody, have, please stand up. Okay, so how about this is the San Francisco corner? Okay. This is the East Bay corner, if you live in the East Bay, okay? And we're going to throw Bob in with the San Francisco group. San Francisco's over there. And then this is the peninsula. Well, okay, so we have a, we have a, we have a, we have a, what do you call somebody that, we have a split off group. Out of town. Out of town? This is Peninsula over here. 
That's the closest you're going to get. Yeah. And then Juliana, where do you live? the East Bay group. So this is the East Bay. So now I want you guys to... So now you know who's in your group. You have things to negotiate, but if you could please return to your seats. Now you know who's who. I'm just going to go back to our seats. So these, these small groups can be very, very helpful and very supportive and enriching for this whole training program. And not all the small groups work uh, because of uh, scheduling and sometimes uh, interpersonal dynamics, all kinds of reasons. But to make, the effort to, to make an effort to make it work is part of the training. And, uh, and if it's more difficult it is, especially... You know, except for scheduling, but if, if other difficulties, figuring out how to be together, if that's difficult, consider it as part of the training because chaplains need to know how to work with difficult groups. <laughs> you know, just consider it. And, um, and part of it, uh, you're, you have to find your way. We're not giving you a lot of guidelines for this, but here are some things that you could do. Uh, you could uh, review some of the things that happen in the Fridays here. Talk about it, you know, what's left over for you and the repercussions for you and what you learned. If we do some of these exercises here, if it feels like really juicy or really nice, you can do it again, you know, in your small group. Uh, you can talk, discuss the reading. We don't discuss the reading very much or at all. Kind of in the, the readings are important, but we don't discuss them here. Some people find it really beneficial to have a place they can go and discuss the readings. Uh, some people uh, share their, uh, you know, you send your writings to us and uh, we replied the way we do. But uh, some people find it really nice to share it with their buddy or to share it with their small group. And that can be part of the area of discussion. It could also be a place where you, if you have issues or 
you know, something rich, difficult, something significant happens in your volunteer work, you have someone you can check in with and talk about and debrief with and maybe do a little role play with it even. You tell them the story, you role play, and, and you'll learn, oh, there's, a, there's different ways of doing this. Your group came up with different responses. So it can be really fun, it can be nice. Uh, different groups have met in different places. Sometimes people have met in their, uh, you know, in their living room someplace. Sometimes they've met in coffee shops. Some people who find it really hard to meet um, you know, during the month will come down here early and have breakfast together or stay afterwards and have uh, supper together, which uh, has some advantages in terms of the commute. So I think, is that enough guidelines to get you going? Yes. Mm. Just want to let people know. Um, and also, um, Elmwood, I'm opening up another day at the jail. I got permissions. Yeah. On Thursdays, um, what I'm looking for, if anybody is interested, would like to just come see once and try it out. The only thing is, well, anyway, if anybody is interested in jail work on a Thursday, uh-huh. it would be, that would be more Buddhist than just teaching meditation. Great. Great. Are you open to having people just not be interested in doing it, but being interested in shadowing you? Oh yes, I would love it. So if some of you, so if you, some of you are interested in what happens in jails, uh, Joanna, you could go and go just go down there for the for the day and and just check it out and see what you know that goes on. The only thing is that you have to give the same kind of information. Yeah. Sometimes the system is very slow. Yeah. You know, take a month before you get clearance. Yeah. So you have to plan ahead. Patience. Okay, yes? Um, what is the, or is there a difference between the small groups and the buddies? And, and buddy is just, uh, is some, a buddy is a one person who will be your buddy your, uh, for the duration of the course. And so, you know, once a, once a month, you guys can check in in between these kind of Friday meetings. And so you have this continuity with one person that is a little bit more deeper and more some, some you know, have more deeper connection and ongoing connection. And um, the, the small groups may or may not include your buddy. And uh, so, you know, but, uh, but also because you're, there's more people in the small group, it's more diluted a little bit than that one-on-one. And the, and the buddy, some people find that the buddy is, a, you know, just having one person who reads your, they share their, their writings and they can talk about it some and that makes the writing kind of experience richer. And um, so, and it's it's fine for uh, you know, how many people don't have a buddy now? So everybody except Joanna, do you have a buddy now already? Uh, no. no. So it's fine for it's fine for people to have more than one. So if you already have one, it's it's more the merrier. This is not a monogamous thing. <laughs> <laughs> So a little triad of, you know. <laughs> yeah, but he's more one-on-one, so they can call and talk. Great. Okay, good.
A hugely important part of being a chaplain in any circumstance is some degree of cultural competency, which is a kind of a, one of the ways of talking about being careful to be with, uh, uh, with all the differences that exist in our society and how to navigate in that. And because uh, chaplains are seen through certain uh, projections, transferences, certain authority, that uh, you, know, you show up, you're a chaplain, and you're not just yourself. That uh, even the subtlest things that you do, uh, reactions you have about some of these cultural differences you might encounter, can have much bigger repercussions than it could have uh, in ordinary life even. So the importance to be careful for it. So uh, I think the, um, the kind of the main thing I'd like to try to get across is uh, one thing. Be careful with assumptions that you have about anything, but be careful with assumptions you have about other people. And then I'll go into that in a little bit and say a few other things, say other things. I, I kind of think that as, uh, the human tendency to make assumptions is kind of uh, second nature for us. Probably we were, we were evolved uh, through evolution to uh, take a lot of data in and categorize and generalize it quickly so that we can somehow be safe. And those who could do that quickly and kind of come up with uh, some ballpark idea that, that looked like a danger, whatever kind it was, uh, were more likely to be safe even if it wasn't a danger. And so we could, our brains do that. But uh, we also have this wonderful capacity, capacity for attention, for mindfulness. And so we don't, we're, not, we're not driven by our assumptions. We can stop and, take, and question them and look at them and consider them. So the fact that we'll have assumptions is kind of a given. But then the wisdom of how to work with it is a lot of what uh, we have to work with and develop, both in Buddhist practice, but also in doing chaplaincy. Um, And I think that, um, so there are two general assumptions that uh, chaplains can make. Uh, There's all kinds of assumptions, right? But two very general ones that I think kind of covers a lot. One is that the person that you're with is the same as you. And uh, you share a lot of the same experiences, background, you're all just common, you have to share common humanity and, and you should all kind of share in the oneness of, of yourself. The other assumption is that you're different. <laughs> and that you're somehow really different and you know and you're you know so different that there's you know there's no commonality or something. And both of those can be assumptions. And both of them have some truth to it probably. There's differences and there's similarities. But if we fall into one camp more than the other, we might miss uh, if, we, if we're insisting on seeing the sameness of us, we might miss how there's important differences and people feel, they feel missed. They feel that you didn't understand them, you didn't connect to them. But if you insist on looking at them as different than you, uh, then uh, you also might miss them. It could be that uh, in so many different cultural ways and background ways and all kinds of ways, they look so dramatically different from you but in the, in the situation they're in right now, uh, it might be that there's one little sliver of similarity that's the bridge. And that makes all the difference in the world to have it. It could be that has, the person has so many similarities to you. Not only do you discover that they, 
you know, same age as you. They grew up in the same town as you, in the same neighborhood, and they even went to the same school as you at the same time. You just never met them. And the boy, you share so much. But that doesn't make any difference at that moment because what really matters is some salient, important difference that you have to understand and meet and, and work with. And that's what they're working with. That's what they're struggling with, maybe. So, so that's kind of representative, these two big extremes of coming into, into a situation and making assumptions. And that covers a lot, a lot of different things, what we might do. Um, And then, you know, we know that some of the people we encounter will have a big, wide range background that's very different from our own. Meet people from other countries, other cultures, other ethnicities, other races, other sexual orientations, gender, all kinds of things that we might encounter. So ideally, we would have done our homework. So we know everything we could. We would have studied up on their religion, we would know their rituals, we'd know what holidays they celebrate, we would know uh, something about uh, the you know, key cultural values that they grew up with, we would know with their profession, we'd have their resume of their work experience, and their, you know, we'd have the, all their you know, school, schooling that they ever had, we would know how many siblings they have, <laughs> you know, we know which relatives had died and which didn't die, we would just know it all, right? And we would, you know, go to the database and read it all and study and we'd show up and we'd be so informed and we would just, do, you know, do everything just impeccably well. It's not going to happen. You, you're not going to know everything about people. You can't know enough about all the different religions of the world. And even if you know, some, you know, studied one religion, you, I, I know Buddhism, I'm a Buddhist, right? There are so many different kinds of Buddhists. Okay, well, I've studied, I'm a Theravadan Buddhist, so I know what that's about. And then you meet someone from Laos, you know, Theravadan Buddhism from Laos. And it's like, turns out it's like, wow, I've never encountered this kind of Theravadan Buddhism. And, um, and so there's so much you can't know at all. So there are two principles that you can bring with you when you come in to meet anyone. This kind of. And uh, one principle is called cultural humility. And the other is called cultural curiosity. And cultural humility is that uh, the, the concept that you don't know. There's so much you don't know about the person, their background. But it isn't, that, it isn't just that you don't know. When the humility, it's not just kind of you know, realizing you don't know, is, uh, I think it's best it's, you don't know the richness of their culture. You don't know... <laughs> The, the, you, you don't know the things that if you knew, you would just have so much appreciation and celebrate and value the dignity and the value and, you know, of whatever background they have. And so what is that? So we come into a room and uh, we don't assume that we know. But we also put ourselves in a position of some little bit of like, certainly not knowing but a humility where we're not imposing ourselves. We're not ready to kind of decide that we know. Uh, we want to find out. And so that's where cultural curiosity comes along. And, uh, and this is where we take our time to get to know what's happening here. And there's many ways in which to learn when you go into, a, in any kind of circumstance, 
but say you go into a hospital room, you could uh, first, uh, even before you talk to them, you can look around the room and see, are there any evidence in the room that tells you something? Are there any religious uh, material that's out? A little Buddha statue or a cross or anything? Is there a menorah in the window or something? Is there a picture of something? Uh, Are there cards in the room from family members and friends? Or is there nothing? Do they have a visitor or there's no visitor? Uh, As this uh, medical staff said, they've been here for a few days, but no one's visited them. Um, you know, so you kind of just look around and see, what, what, is there any evidence that suggests that this is something to pay attention to, to notice? And I, 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 I use the word suggest because you don't want to assume that whatever you, way you read it is accurate. So it's a suggestion. And then you would you take your time and you want to f- try to f- let the person speak for themselves and let them kind of reveal who they are in a careful way, in a nice way. Um, and so you don't want to probe. Some people are very offended if you probe or ask intruding questions. Some people find it just offensive if you just look at them. Uh, you know, some people in our culture, certain kind of Western cultures, looking at people is considered polite. Other cultures, it's very impolite to do it. And so, you know, you don't want to probe necessarily dig in, get too personal. But can you, are you allowed to ask, can you ask simple questions that are pretty vague, uh, that uh, kind of build on what they say? And uh, maybe it's a question like, oh, can you tell me more? Oh, I'd like to, I'd like to learn more of that. You know, that's, you know, I don't know anything about that. And can you tell me more? You know, so, you know, there's a, you know, anything they say. You know, they say, you say you're a chaplain or spiritual care. And they say, well, you know, I don't think that really works for me because, you know, I'm an atheist. Oh, that's... I, I kind of like that. I'm kind of atheist too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, can you tell me a little bit more? I'd like to hear more about that. That's interesting and I respect that. And, and with the idea that you res- the cultural humility part means that you're respecting your, your, the dignity of the person, the value of the person, the value of their background. And people thrive, people grow and develop if they feel respected, if they feel that they're valued and worthy. And so how do we approach people and ready to feel them, you know, uh, not just tolerate the differences, of, you know, okay, I'll accept you for who you are, but do more than that, but to really kind of, wow, you know, you know, like you're an important person, maybe the most important person that you've seen that day and their background, who they are and everything. So to be curious, to learn to, and, and to let it, let, let, if they're willing to tell you things about themselves, that, um, that uh, you know, receive it with uh, generosity, receive it with respect, receive it with valuing what they're saying. So that you don't get caught in your assumptions. Now, for those of us who practice mindfulness, um, it's possible to notice when an assumption is born. If you're paying attention to your mind, you can watch the thoughts arise. There might be unconscious things as well, 
but there's all kinds of thoughts that will rise. There's all kinds of little emotional reactions. There's all kinds of little ways the body shifts inside of you. You tense up a little bit, you lean forward, you pull back a little bit. Little ways in which your, your stomach kind of gets tight or little bit ways in which you enter a room and you relax suddenly as you get in there. It's like everything softens. Ways in which you come in and, and you say, oh, this is this kind of person. Oh, that's a Baptist. You know, where that, you know. And, um, and so you can watch all these things happen and then put a question mark next to them and say, well, maybe not. Who knows? Let's find out. Let's, let's put that on the aside, aside for now. Maybe it's interesting to pick something up. Maybe there's some truth to the assumption. Now, let's go in with beginner's mind or with humility or with uh, curiosity. Let's find out what's actually the case. So this ability to track yourself, to watch what's going on is very, very powerful. And, uh, I, and uh, I think that's one of the uh, great benefits of meditation, of mindfulness, is to have that ability of familiarity with all the different cues that arise inside of you. If you don't have, if you don't pick up all those cues, that's where assumptions can almost be I mean, spilled out kind of unconsciously. Um, and then when you ask questions of people to learn more about them, if, if it seems appropriate to ask questions, it can be helpful to um, ask somewhat vague questions. Ask the kind of questions that uh, they can kind of find their own way with an answer. It, has, it allows for a wide range of responses. So like what I said earlier, like, oh, tell me more. That allows them, the door's wide open for almost anything they can want to say in response. Um, as opposed to asking for a very detailed question that's almost like an exam, you know. Just, just ask, you know. Oh, you, uh, you, they say, they ask you for a prayer. And you say, oh, prayer, great. You know, what do you like about prayer? What's nice for you about prayer? That's pretty vague, right? And so then they kind of fill you in. And as they fill you in, you ask other choice, vague questions. And then they kind of, you know, they do a path that gets formed. And they kind of lead you someplace where it's going. Um... So um, I thought it might be nice to hear from some of you. Brief, brief, some little brief kind of events in your life where uh, that we might learn from, uh, where someone made assumptions about you that either didn't work or maybe did work. What, what challenges have you had around people making assumptions around you? And I ask this partly as part of our consideration here because so we kind of get more sensitive to the range of things that people might make assumptions of and what it's like to be in the receiving end of it. And so we're more sensitive when we go into the room, hospital room. Anybody willing to mention some? Yes? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the assumptions um, ever. <laughs> <laughs> I um, volunteered at the VA hospital uh, for a couple years as just a, a, a volunteer. I'd yeah. go into rooms and talk to people. And, um, and then I would also <clears throat> uh, take people to different appointments they had. And so one day I had a call um, to go down to the lab and pick up this man. 
and bring him back to the ward. Um, and so I went to pick him up, and he looked at me, and he said, you Jap, get out of here, you dirty Jap. And um, this man was in World War II, and he was, you know, he was captured. And so it, it was, I mean, I got it, you know. It wasn't about me, but it was about me. It was really, it, it, it stung so deeply uh, because I'm not Japanese, and I wasn't, you know, and I wasn't in World War II. Um, and um, it really, really stung deeply, deeply, deeply. But I was able to maintain and get him up to the, to the ward, and then I went into a room and cried. Mm. Um, because when I was growing up, I was called Jap and things. And I'm actually Filipino. I'm biracial, Caucasian, and um, Filipino. So uh, at one time, I asked this girl out to a dance. This is before I came out and I was in the closet. Um, and she said no. And, this, and so a girl came up to me afterwards and she said, do you know why Janet didn't ask, say yes to, the, to go to the dance? And I said, no. She says, because you look like you're Japanese. So, yeah, so that's my story. Yeah, and her story was that she was lesbian. She came out, and we were best friends afterwards. <laughs> so there's always a good moral to the story. <laughs> Great, thank you for telling us. So a couple of weeks ago, I went to the ER. I'm okay, um, but there had to be some imaging on my leg. And now there's some cool x-ray machines that come into the room. You don't have to go to the imaging room. And this nice person named Bo came in to do my leg. And um, he was wearing like a whole lead outfit, you know, like good for him. But I wasn't. And <laughs> it was being imaged on me. And so right before he, moved the, he left the room, he slapped this like triangular lead piece of fabric thing on my crotch. And I was like, it took me a second to be like, oh, he thinks that's where my gonads are. What he didn't know and what wasn't on the uh, chart was that I'm trans and that I have a uterus and that if he's actually, you know, caring for what that little piece of lead was supposed to be caring for, (laughs) he would have put it in a very different place. Um, And I just felt frozen. and I didn't know, you know, like I actually had a friend there who role-played with me what I would do next time. But these assumptions happen all the time for me, but it's times like that where I'm like, this is my body, this is like my possible children or not, depending on the radiation, um, that those kind of, and especially in a medical setting, that it feels relevant to share. Great, thank you. Still happens a lot, but when I was a kid, I sort of knew that whenever I met a new person, I had to say something smart right away. Usually, kind of smart aleck, but because people would always, always assume that because I had a physical difference, that I had a cognitive one as well. And there was always this, oh, she talks, you know, <laughs> oh, you made that, that kind of stuff.
I've actually thought about this a lot. I have a writing group, and I actually start an essay. The title is, I am not as I appear. And and, uh, so, of course, you know, same thing, being Asian, growing up in Milwaukee, where there's no other, there's just very few Chinese at the time in the 40s, and so there's always the thing at the playground of, you know, run, run, jap, jap, you know, that kind of thing, but we're Chinese. Uh, another, I've got, when I started teaching at one of my jobs, I had raised a family, went back to class, and there was a, it was a small school special. We, we taught the homebound, and there was a veteran teacher. And um, I realized after a couple of months, she was really trying to help me learn how to teach. Uh, and I realized her assumptions, you know, it looked young, etc. And then it stopped when she found out I had a master's. <laughs> degree in education. Not only that, I had it from a very good institution. Uh, and then uh, lived in a neighborhood and uh, across the street. Uh, my husband's Caucasian, and uh, there's the assumption that uh, he was in the war and brought home a war bride, you know, kind of thing. Um, oh, and the other, another one that happens all the time, uh, Chuck and I both served in the Peace Corps. So we go into a Peace Corps return volunteer group meeting, it's always assumed my husband was in the Peace Corps and brought me home. <laughs> but it's not, you know, it's the other way. Um, and then the other thing, last one, um, so often, now nowadays it doesn't happen, but uh, in the 40s and 50s, you know, 60s, oh, your English is so good. So I was the only Asian person in my neighborhood, um, and that was really tough. I heard all the racial slurs. Grew up with a real sense of, I know what it is to be minority, you know, and now um, my neighborhood in L.A. is filled with Asian people. But back then, I was the only. It was so hard. Um, Then my family, uh, my dad's a professor at UCLA, took a sabbatical to Hawaii, and that was the most amazing thing for me. I was like, oh, my God. Not only is Asian positive, it's cool, you know. <laughs> it was the most amazing thing to have that. Um, when I gave birth to my son, I also had a Caucasian first husband and second husband. But um, So my child looks, um, he's Hapa, and he looks very Caucasian. And when I, would, I was living in Glen Park at the time, and... I take him to the park, and everybody assumed I was the nanny, you know. And um, there's just numerous stories we could go on and on. I know all the people of color here could just, we could just keep going on and on, and how painful and always being told, yes, your English is very good. And yeah, we could go on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm an attorney, and my husband is considerably older than me, and he didn't go past high school in his education. And um, when we go to things where there's other lawyers, like for whatever reason lawyers get together, do stuff, they always come up to him and go, oh, where do you practice? (laughs) Always. Because he's a guy and he's older. Um, and then the other thing that is always assumed 
just by virtue of being female, I think uh, there's a lot of assumptions that I'm going to be more emotional, that I'm going to be less intelligent, that I have less to offer, that I'm, if you know, that I'm not the professional in the room. So I have a lot of clients that don't know me because I get sent just for whatever. And so I'll be in the room and they'll assume I'm the secretary or from another department or, you know, so that's an assumption that's it's not always useful. <laughs> I often get the uh, well I shouldn't say often it happens often enough though it's, it's a thing like oh, you must spend a lot of time in the sun you have such a great tan it's like well, I was born with this color <laughs> it's like yeah, what are Last year when we had, I talked, we did this kind of uh, question last year here and, and someone said something that, um, um, that that happened to me when I was a new Buddhist teacher. I'll say it that way. My, my experience was, um, um, uh, you're so young. I, I don't want to meet with you because you don't have enough life experience. Maybe it's true, but you know, it was... Who knew what I could do for the person or not do for the person, but I was seen in a certain way. And so uh, chaplains will be seen in all kinds of ways. So it's not just simply you making assumptions about others, but uh, there'll be a lot of assumptions about you that'll happen. And so it's not just learning to be careful with your own assumptions, but also learning to be wise about the assumptions that you receive. Have any of you made assumptions of others that uh, you, that you, no, no, that, that, yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, all of you, all of us. But uh, any, any particular juicy one that turned out to be, you know, you were way off and it turned out to be so different than you thought and that might be kind of instructive for us here. Yes, Amanda. Oh, my daughter, when she was in about the sixth grade, she made a new friend with someone who just moved to town. And we went to her house, and I met her mom. And her mom talked to me about being her mom and why they moved to California and lots of other stuff. And then when I went back, a different woman answered the door, and I asked for Delaney's mom. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, okay. That kind of whatever and I was like oh, what do I do and then I went back for Delaney's birthday and this and the same two women were there and I I asked my daughter I was like is that is that Delaney's aunt or something who's that woman she's oh no that's her mom she's got two moms and I was like why didn't you tell me <laughs> and she's like I just found out today Delaney just doesn't say anything about it. So I like had severe like foot and mouth syndrome for making that assumption that they needed to tell me that that was their family dynamic and that it was okay for me to assume something different. So it was uh, it was an important lesson. Um, when I came out, uh, uh, it was in the San Jose newspaper. It was about uh, gays in the military. 
and we were on the front page, and I had several people at work call me and say, I saw you on the, in the, the news. It's really great. And I thought I'd never get that. But one of the most, um, I thought, homophobic men, I thought, uh, was one of them that called me and said how much he supported me. And I was just flabbergasted, shocked. So that was really an example of me making assumptions about someone. And, and I, you know, because I have my own internalized homophobia, I actually make that mistake a lot. And then this thing about, uh, uh, in, in my mind, hu- cultural humility, uh, you know, it's a kind of, a, you know, in some ways a touchy word, humility. But um, it goes along with that is um, really respecting or the value, the dignity of the other and their background, their situation. You, can you kind of contribute some ideas about uh, how you can uh, meet someone and express uh, somehow or other the value of who they are, that they're, 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 the richness of it, the appreciation of the dignity of uh, their particular being and background and identity and all that. What are some ways to do that? Well, I'll start. I, um, I start with a smile and a hello and generally have it come from my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I do that a lot with uh, people that I will, uh, walk, meet walking of uh-huh. different cultures. Uh-huh. You're welcome to pick up the other one sometimes. If you, <laughs> or it's nice to share, right? Sharing is good. Um, I, I often just approach it from a place of curiosity that the more curious I can be, it's, it's a genuine, I want to learn more about you. I want to learn your history, what turns you on, what turns you off, what makes you happy. So curiosity is something that um, I think is, is lacking in, in the world, and we could be a lot more curious about each other, and, and that kind of brings us together. So Great. that drives me a lot. Great. Thank you. I know we're not going to have like the whole write-up of the individual and their background and stuff, but I do feel like it's important to know some basics. And for me, as a trans person, it's like if I charged for every hour that I educated somebody, I would be very wealthy. And I don't want to do that, especially if someone's providing spiritual care for me. So there's like so many resources. The internet is such a great thing for all of I think people have spoken to like and listening to these stories. So it's not like can you tell me more about that really painful thing that you always have to tell people about? So I think there's a line between curiosity being a way to value someone and then um, a way to just, I think, for me, when people show that they don't know and they're just like, oh, I don't, I don't know about that. And make, them a, make that about them and not me educating them. That, that to me, shows me more respect than sort of experience exploiting me to educate them. Not that, I mean, yes, I do educate people. It's a, it's a gift, and it's, um, it can be very uh, tiring. Yeah, so it's an example. So, you, you know, you, I loved what you said about curiosity, Bob. And, you know, if you get curious and start asking too many questions, it also, you don't know the history of how tired they are of having to answer these questions. And, you know, if it's, you know, so 
and also all kinds of issues that can come up. So we have to be sensitive. So, so if we ask questions or make statements, this is where making these kind of kind of statements that doesn't require anything from the other except to volunteer on their own. So sounds like a balance. So if someone said, oh I, "Oh, I don't know anything about that." That gives you room to say nothing, or maybe say something. And just so you all know, there is a transgender spiritual care initiative coming out that's an open source training that everyone will have access to. I'll send it out when it's done. (laughs) Okay. Any more words on this? Any questions? Before we uh, change a little bit. The direction. Um, I just really appreciate having this conversation. Great. Thank you. So you appreciate the conversation. Thank you. bring up something um, what helps me when I go into the prison or anywhere um, is the whole idea of reincarnation and uh, I've had enough readings to know I've been a lot of different things Uh, in one of them I said to the uh, fellow I said so that's why I came back Asian and he said yes and so uh, for me when I see somebody, I always have that in mind. They weren't always what I'm looking at. I wonder what they were. I've been male, I know. I mean, I just have so many interesting readings that were confirmed by others, you know, different readings. So I just want to ask if anybody has, is influenced by that kind of way of thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've all been each other's. Anyway, we've all been each other's mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and yeah. all the different things. So, so let's get rid of the stereotypes. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to aim at what they. I don't know in Buddhism what you can call it because you know, we don't have really an essence. We're all one, but that what I'm seeing the form to me is not really. That's just temporary. It's just an outside. So, so and, that hel- that helps you. Yeah, and I, I think the the guys, I think they pick it up or something. And I always tell them, I, I, I respect you. I, in, in my class, I have them write something in their folder right off the beginning. And what it is is they write, and I say it with great emphasis, that they have to write, I am a loving human being deserving of dignity and respect. Mm. And I make that a mantra, and that's how I see them. You know? And then I see guards that don't act that way at all. You know? Okay, so the last word I'll say this particular thing is that um, I was at a, a meeting of the ethics committee of the local hospital I'm serving on yesterday, and they were talking about what ethical principles were uh, were involved in a case that they were talking about, and one of the prominent uh, ethical principles 
that they're operating on the principle and, and at the hospital, not just in chaplaincy, but everyone, is the dignity of each person. And so I think it's a common ethical principle for hospitals in our c- culture is to approach, the, to appreciate the dignity of each person that you're encountering. And so, uh, so you know, so th- th- this cultural humility is one that allows us hopefully to find, to see and view and discover how we can see this as a dignified human being in front of us. Yes. Um, so, if we use the mic, please. Actually, um, it, when I was doing the writing assignment for this class, I was also reflecting, feeling that I haven't really finished my own healing journey. Um, that I'm still in the middle of it, very much in the middle of it, and things occur in life, and then things, you know, I recently went through something that was really emotionally challenging. And so just feeling like, how how do I be there for other people while going, trying to hold my own space, while going through my, you know, I just, I don't feel <laughs> like I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and also this, these two words, they really, they, they impact me, the, um, you know, feeling... Uh, to see someone, you know, to see that they are, that they have an innate dignity or to, that they, dis- they are someone who is worthy of respect. Like, I feel like these are issues that I haven't finished in my own life where mm-hmm. I've grown up in situation, in a situation where I didn't feel respected, where I didn't, where people didn't see my dignity and I still have trouble with that, seeing mm-hmm. that in myself. So I think uh, what you're saying is very important. And it's the it's a very uh, it's a found, what you what you described as a foundation for what needs to follow the fact that you have this self awareness that you just described and you realize what's unfinished what's unresolved what needs to be worked uh, we all have things like that and so uh, to uh, so then you have to take that into account and to know when the right time is to do chaplaincy it could be some days are not right because those these things are up it could be that certain people you shouldn't go talk to or certain work certain areas of work are not suited at this point and you need to do some other work or it could be that you know that's going to be tender for you and but you can kind of keep it to yourself so it doesn't spill over on the patient for example but that uh, this is part of your healing is to meet with these things and work with them uh, uh, but uh, the fact that you know it know this that's a, that's the uh, the information you need to, to take care of to know what to do, how to take care of yourself and, and what you need to do before you can do the appropriate care for someone else. And uh, certainly you can talk to any one of us here about this and we'll explore it with you and help you understand it and what needs to be done, what can be done and what kind of support would be useful for you. Okay? Okay. So thank you. But I want to a little bit continue this, but with a a little uh, dyad exercise where each of you (coughs) gets to be... Are you going? Okay, that's why you're leaving early. Okay, so then there'll be, I guess, one group of three then. Uh, Each of you will be a, um, uh, a chaplain. And the other one gets to be yourself. And um, what your job as the, as when you're yourself, 
is to tell the chaplain about some challenge you're having in your life these days. It, it can be, it doesn't have to be a big challenge, but it's, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, big or deep or the most difficult thing that you have. But offers a, a, a talk, mentions to talk about some challenge you have and allow the chaplain to do active listening, which means the chaplain will have a chance maybe to ask some simple questions, open-ended questions, uh, nod their head, say, oh yeah, or just kind of actively involved in the, in the conversation. They're sitting there passively, learning what's going on. And, um, and that's, that's the first half of the exercise, just to do that. And then you stop, kind of like you kind of like. And then, as the as the yourself, now uh, when you make the transition, now inform the chaplain, the person that you're with, what what would be good for them to know about you if they were going to try to offer you some kind of care, attention, spiritual care, some kind of chaplaincy response. What would, what, what would be nice for them to know about you which is not obvious? Does that make sense? And the exercise is partly so that we can start getting more sensitive to the fact that there's much more under the surface or behind the scenes than we can usually pick up because we see, we make assumptions, and there's much more there. And, um, and, uh, and so by telling the chaplain, this is what you would, if you knew this about me, then you could really support me or help me. Then, oh, wow, there's a lot more here. I didn't, I, didn't, I couldn't have guessed. And I'm hoping that's a good exercise to, uh, to sensitize you, prepare you for being much more kind of curious, open, uh, willing to not operate under, uh, too blindly under assumptions as you kind of go through this kind of exercise. Is that okay? So, um, yes. So, just to be clear, so I can... maybe. Uh, well, just to be clear, when you're in the chaplain role, you should be in like active listening. Yeah. yeah, mostly just active listening. This is not offering advice or you know trying to do something for them, <clears throat> uh, but uh, just active listening, being part of it, you know, learning about it, whatever they want to say and. Or participate it in the way that seems appropriate. You know, it depends how they come, but they're going they, you've showed up, you're the chaplain, and they're going to tell you about some difficulty they have and that it's important for them to talk about, and, and you're just going to find out something. And then, um, and you'll do that, not very long. So I would say that you would do the active listening for about five minutes. And then uh, you would stop, and then uh, the person who's themselves would then fill in the picture and say, you know, these are the kind of things you should know about me. You know, uh, that, you know, it's not obvious. And it didn't come, you know, in talking about the challenge I have, you wouldn't have learned that, you know, uh, you know this big background I have that tells me that uh, I hate it when people give me advice. <laughs> or, you know, whatever it might be, you know, that, uh, that would be useful to know. Or, um, and uh, so hopefully you'll come up with something that can serve the chaplain with this lesson and, that we're trying to do here. And then um, there can be five minutes of each. So, so five minutes uh, active listening, five minutes a discussion about what they would, would have been nice for them to have known. That's invisible normally. They didn't know your, don't know your background. And, were, and, then, um, and then you switch roles. So the whole thing will take about 20 minutes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I hope, I hope you can kind of self-time 
uh, that. And uh, should I ring every five minutes? Okay, every five every five minutes I'll ring a bell. And Jennifer, so whoever doesn't have a partner, why don't you walk towards the front? And everyone else, find a partner. Yeah. We consider ourselves a So, so Juliana. You'll, you'll t- okay. So, um, we're going to take a break. <laughs> but uh, we would like to ask that we do the break in silence. And this is the break where it really helps if we clean the building a little bit. So we can uh, return, IMC can get it back from us in a nice shape. So that means those three bathrooms need to be clean and the kitchen uh, should be tidied up. And anything else that seems obvious, if the trash cans are pretty full, or those little compost ones on the counters back there in the kitchen and the counter by the hot water machine. Uh, if those are pretty full, it'd be nice to empty those as well. So take a break, including those kinds of caretaking. It'd be great. So thank you. <laughs>